All right, everybody. Today we're coming at you with the UFC Vegas 76 Maga Madoff versus Strickland or Strickland versus Maga Madoff preview predictions and breakdown. The fight card is going to take place this Saturday, July 1st from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You have a main event bout between the number seven ranked middleweight in Tarzan, Sean Strickland or Sean Tarzan Strickland, even though I don't really know if he goes by that nickname anymore. I don't think he does, but I could be wrong. Going up against the UFC newcomer coming off of that first round knockout victory over Dustin Stoltzfus in his UFC debut, a former PFL finalist, former PFL competitor, and a guy with a lot of mixed martial arts experience, at least on the pro level, but it kind of got stunted by a lot of injuries and just time away from the game with Abus Magomedov, who comes back with a record of 25 victories, four defeats, and one no contest with Strickland coming back with an impressive record of his own right, coming off that split decision victory over Jared Cannonier. or I'm sorry, split decision loss to Jared Cannonier in Sean, oh my God, I can't get this right. He was coming off of that win over Nasruddin Imavov via decision. Prior to that, it was a close split decision loss to Jared Cannonier at 26 victories and five defeats, but he should technically be 27 and four because I believe a lot of people, including myself, thought that Strickland did enough to beat Jared Cannonier in that fight. And then in the co-main event of the evening, you have the retirement bout of Demir Ismagulov. I hope that's not true. I hope he doesn't retire, but we thought he was going to retire after that loss to Armin Sarukian. He's coming back to fight out his last fight on his contract, which, you know, that can raise some red flags for some people. Taking on the number 15 ranked fighter in Grant. Dawson, who comes in with an impressive record in his own right, 19 victories, one loss, one no contest. Demir's Magulov, 24 victories and two losses. Obviously, in his last fight, that loss to Armin Sarukian via decision. Max Griffin versus Michael Morales, and a bunch of other really good fights. One of the Bombfiend brothers, the return of Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee after that short stint over in Eagle FC, where he had a somewhat competitive fight against Diego Sanchez, which Obviously isn't the best look going into this fight, but we're going to break down almost every fight on the card. I am going to skip the Ariane Lipsky-Melissa Gatto fight, and then I will be skipping Yana Santos and Carol Rosa, and then Ivana Petrovic and Luana Carolina. Not because I don't want to talk about the women's fights, because I'm sure that's what somebody's going to say, but because you know I don't really have a strong read on either of these fights. And I feel like with women's MMA, I did pick Ariane Lipsky to win her last fight against, I believe it was J.J. Aldridge. It was either J.J. Aldridge or Aspenland. I think it was J.J. Aldridge. I picked her to win that fight. She was a pretty hefty underdog. She got it done. I'm a fan of Lipsky, but she's very hot and cold and very inconsistent. So you never know. She's coming in as an underdog again. Maybe you take a shot on the Queen of Violence as an underdog. Um, I'll actually give you my picks for the women's fights right now before we get into the rest of the card. Um, so let me start off. We've got Ivana Petrovic who came in. She's coming in as a champion from another organization going up against Luana Carolina. From what I've seen, you know, Ivana Petrovic has a lot of heart. She can really just stay in a fight when it looks like the times are getting hard. She doesn't quit on herself. She continues to fight. And Luana Carolina is a good fighter. She has good striking. I'd say she probably has better striking, but I think the better grappling, the better top position control, and the better submission ability and better jujitsu all come from Ivana Petrovic. So I'm going to pick Petrovic to beat Luana Carolina via a second-round rear-naked choke submission. I think she's eventually going to take the back of Carolina in a scramble, flatten her out, land some ground and pound, allow Carolina to expose her neck, and then get the rear-naked choke. Um, with Yana Santos and Carol Hosa, I'm going to be honest, I really don't know. Um, I, I, 
I'm not too interested in this fight. I don't think there are a ton of people who are interested in this one to begin with. You obviously have the number six ranked women's featherweight and number nine ranked women's featherweight in a division that doesn't really exist. So take for that what you will. There really is no women's featherweight division. I mean, it's just Amanda Nunes defending the featherweight championship maybe once a year, once every couple of years. But there really is no women's featherweight division. So I know it says number six ranked and you're going to think it's important, but it's really not. Um, I'll go... I'll go Yana Santos. I'll just pick her. I feel like she probably is the better technical fighter and should be able to get more done on the feet and the striking ranges and probably can use her takedowns in wrestling. So give me Yana Santos to win via decision. And then we'll go to the final fight for at least the women's side of the card. Uh, we talked about Gato. We talked about Santos. Ivana Petrovic. Oh, no, that is everything. Yeah, because we talked about um, Ariane Lipsky and Melissa Gato. For that, car, or for that fight... Um, I feel like this is the most high-level women's fight on the card, but I'll go with the underdog again. I'll go with Ariane Lipsky to land some good shots in the clinch, land some good elbows, some good uppercuts, land good knees to the body, and be able to tire out Melissa Gato the longer the fight goes. But Ariane Lipsky doesn't have the best jujitsu. She doesn't have the best chin, so if Gato can land some big strikes on her and get her to kind of wilt under that pressure, I think there is a chance that Gato can really just overwhelm her or potentially overwhelm her on the feet, get the takedown, and then lock up a submission. But I think Ariane Lipsky's work inside the clinch will be able to get her some good work done in this fight, and she will win this fight via decision as an underdog. So I got Ariane Lipsky over Melissa Gato. I have Yana Santos over Carol Hosa via decision. And then we've got Ivana Petrovic over Luana Karolina by submission uh, via rear naked choke. All right, and now let's get into the rest of the card. We'll start off in the heavyweight division with a battle between top-ranked contenders, top 15-ranked contenders, and the number 14-ranked Alexander Romanov going up against the number 15-ranked Blagoy Ivanov. I didn't watch a lot of tape on this fight, but I don't really think you have to when it comes to breaking down the card opener. I don't think you have to watch a ton of tape. I don't think you really have to get into the, you know, stylistics. The thing that Alexander Romanov is going to be looking to do is get in on your hips, get into the body lock, use some judo tosses, use some hip tosses, use in and out trips, use takedowns, get you to the floor, get in the top position, ground and pound you, and either get you out of there with ground and pound or look to lock up a submission. He has decent striking as well, but I would give the advantage on the feet to uh, Blagoy Ivanov. He's been around for a little bit longer. I feel like he probably is a little bit better technically when it comes to the striking on the feet, but I would give Alexander Romanov the advantage with the grappling, the takedowns, the submission threat, the ground and pound. I really thought he was going to go in against Alexander Volkov and take him down early, and we've seen that, you know, Alexander Volkov has issues with working his way back up to the feet. He had decent takedown defense, but usually if you got him to the floor and got in the top position, you'd be able to submit him, ground and pound him, and eventually set up a submission. So I expected the grappling and submission-heavy game of Romanov to give uh, Alexander Volkov a lot of trouble. However, I was completely wrong. He wasn't able to get the takedowns early and often. He got the takedowns stuffed. He tired out and just gassed, hit a wall, got, basically fell off a cliff after he wasn't able to implement his game plan and then got TKO'd by Alexander Volkov. Um, going in this fight, I cannot pick a guy like Romanov after that last performance. And I know that Alexander Drago Volkov is one of the best heavyweights in the world. I know he's fought the best of the best. I know he's a great technical striker. He has finishing ability. His takedown defense is getting better. He's a very well-rounded fighter. But just the way that he fell off in that fight and fell off so quickly, I think he will come into this fight a little bit more 
disciplined. I think he will come in in better shape than his last fight. But I think that Ivanov eventually is either, even if he gets taken down, he'll be able to work his way back up to the feet. And I think he'll be able to implement more heavy volume on the feet, outstrike him. And I think he will tire out Romanov again, and he'll be able to just win this fight via decision. I don't think he finishes him. I think if you see a finish, that more comes from the side of Romanov being able to get the takedowns, being able to establish the top position and land vicious ground and pound, or potentially look to set up a submission if Ivanov gives up his back or if he turns the wrong way and exposes his arm for an arm bar or the arm triangle choke submission. So I do think that Romanov is going to have a big advantage on the ground, but I think on the feet in the striking realm of the fight, I have to give the advantage to Ivanov. He's a veteran. Um, I feel like he can last longer in a fight than Alexander Romanov, and I think he's going to be able to outpace him over the 15 minutes, land the more impactful and important shots on the feet and work his way to a decision while being able to avoid getting submitted or grounded and pounded into the mat by Romanov. So give me Blagoy Ivanov to defeat Alexander Romanov via a unanimous decision. I think it'll be close, but I just don't have any faith in Romanov at this point in his career after that performance against Volkov, even though Volkov is one of the top fighters in the heavyweight division. All right, now let's get to a very interesting matchup in the UFC return of Garam Kutteladze, training partner of Hamza Chemaev. Um, he's a Georgian fighter, really solid technical striker, taking on a fighter who made his UFC debut recently and got a victory over a heavy favorite in Zubaira Tukagov via a unanimous decision, I believe. It might have, I think it was a unanimous decision in Elvis Brenner, who comes into the fight with a record of 14 victories and three defeats on the side of Garam Kutateladze. He's coming back with a record of 12 victories and three defeats. I'm going to tell you right now, this is a fight that I would not recommend betting on. You know, Garam Kutateladze has been away from the game for a very long time, but he's also fought some of the who's who in the UFC's lightweight division. He's only had two fights in the UFC so far, and he's got a loss via split decision to Demir Ismagulov, who we're going to talk about later, and then a very, very close decision win over Mateus Gamrat, where he defeated Gamrat in his UFC debut. Um, I believe it was Gamrat and Kutsaladze's UFC debut. Um, but Kutsaladze's striking is just otherworldly, man. Extremely solid head movement, good angles. He's got a beautiful left switch kick to the body. He can hide it behind the lead hook, throw the lead hook, get the opponent to slip or circle away, and run right into the same side body kick. Then he'll attack with the right calf kick, you know, right calf kick, left switch kick to the body, one twos down the middle, good lateral movement, good angles, very good pivots as well. He's able to land good strikes on the feet, the one twos down the middle, pivot off on the lead foot, landing elbows inside the clinch. He's just a very, very well-rounded fighter, and and I love the game that Kutateladze plays. Sometimes he can have some issues with the takedowns, but he's not an easy guy to take down either. He has decent takedown defense. Even if you do take him down, he can work his way back up to the feet. He can scramble out, use the wizard, flatten his hips out, work his way back to the center of the cage, and then be able to land the bigger shots and more technical shots on the feet. He's very, very good. The fight against Amir Magulov is one of the most technical fights you'll see in the UFC, and one of the most technical fights you'll see in the UFC lightweight division. It's a very, very solid matchup. And if you haven't watched that fight, even going into this card breakdown, I would go back and check that out. With Brenner, you're going to get a shoot the box type of style. He's going to be walking forward, looking to land big looping punches. I feel like the more technical striker, you know, you really don't have to think about it. It's going to be Garam Kutateladze. He's going to be the more technical striker. He's going to have the cleaner shots. He's going to have the cleaner counters, the cleaner offense, the better takedown defense, probably even the better offensive wrestling. 
But sometimes against those guys who are so clean, so technical, and so by the book, pinpoint accurate, you have to have a guy who's a little bit more wild. You have to have a guy who can throw caution to the wind, land wild kicks, wild looping punches, land you know long volume combinations, and just get a little reckless. Because if he fights technique for technique against Kutataladze, I don't think he'll be able to beat him. But I also don't think there's a lot of lightweights on the roster that can go technique for technique with Kutataladze in a technical kickboxing style of fight in the UFC and come out of it on the winning end. Even the Demiris Magulov fight, like you could argue that Karam Kutataladze won that fight via decision that he did enough work in those rounds to get two out of the three rounds. You know, the jab of Ismagulov was working very well for him. The lead hook to the rear right hand, the jab to the lead five to the right cross. He was landing some big shots on Garam Kutataladze, but Kutataladze was always coming back with the counters. He had a beautiful right hand, beautiful angles, beautiful pivot off, beautiful counters, one, two, lead body kick, the right low kick, the right kick to the body. I mean, the lead switch kick to the body from Garam is about as clean and technical and perfect as you'd want a switch kick to the body. And I think when it comes to this fight, you could maybe want to side with Elvis Brenner based on the fact that, you know, Garam's been out for a while. He hasn't fought in a very long time. He's not an active fighter. He had a lot of injuries that, you know, stunted his return to the UFC and you know a lot of his fights get canceled over and over and over again and you might think that hey you know this could be a similar situation to you know Juliana Miller and Veronica Macedo where you know he's been away for a while and you might want to side with the underdog because you think well maybe he isn't the same fighter that he once was and he's going to come in rusty and Brenner's going to come in push that forward heavy pressure in the face style the shoot the box style like a Charles Oliveira like a Daniel Santos get in the face of Garam Kutaladze and eventually land a big wild shot land some knees in the clinch land an elbow off the break in the clinch you know spinning back fists he is wild and he does possess the power to hurt Garam on the feet, but if this is a striking matchup, he's going to be at a disadvantage, and I think Garam's just going to pick him apart over the 15 minutes. I don't think this is a great fight to bet on. I think Garam's at like a minus 550, minus 600 favorite. With the layoffs, with the injuries, I would never tell you to back a guy. Even if I think he's going to win 99% of the time, I would not back Garam Kutataladze at a minus 500, minus 600. I don't think it should be that high. I think at the highest, maybe minus 250, minus 275 for Kutataladze, and at that point, I would tell you to back him. But if you want to get a better number, I would say take Garam Kutataladze to defeat Elvis Brenner via decision because you'll probably get either slight even money or plus money in that regard. Um, I do think the fight does go the distance, but I could see Garam catching him with a big right hand, a big one-two, maybe a big head kick, and hurting Elvis Brenner, who is going to be reckless, who isn't going to be as technical, and who's going to be getting in the face of Garam and trying to land wild punches, you know, long com- long combinations, spinning back fist, knees, flying knees, and things like that. Like, he is a dangerous fighter, is Elvis Brenner, but I just feel like he's outmatched. So I say this is a no-bet situation, but if you have to play it, I would say take Garam Kutataladze, Kutataladze by a decision, but I'm going to take Garam Kutataladze to defeat Elvis Brenner via a 29-28 unanimous decision. I think he will have some success in Brenner with his wild, unorthodox striking, you know, landing the spinning back fist, the flying knees, you know, the big head kicks. I think he will have some success and probably catch Garam at a certain point, but I don't think he's going to be able to use his wrestling. I don't think he's really going to be able to get anything done inside the clinch, and I think at range, this is Garam's fight to win all day. So give me Garam Kutataladze to defeat Elvis Elvis Brenner via 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, up next is going to be a fight in the featherweight division between Joe Anderson Brito and Weston Wilson. Weston Wilson is coming in after a lot of success on the regional scene. 
coming into the UFC for a UFC debut that I believe is on short notice against Joe Anderson Brito. Brito is a tough fighter. 14 victories, excuse me, three defeats, one no contest. He's coming off of his last fight where I believe he was able to get a victory. I think it was that knockout victory over, um, what's it called? Uh, Andre Touchy Feely was able to knock out Feely with a big shot, a right hand as he tried to land a left hook, I believe. Dropped him and then got him out of there with ground and pound. But he might add a fight after that. Uh, let me see. Was the fight against Lucas Alexander after that uh, fight? Yes. Okay. So he had that fight against Lucas Alexander, who's coming off a victory over Steven Peterson. He was a big underdog. Or not a big underdog, but I think like plus 150 in that fight. I was able to cash on him as the dog against Steven Peterson. He was able to defeat Lucas Alexander via rear naked choke in the first round. He threw a big head kick to get, did Alexander. Brito was able to roll underneath it, jump on him, take the back, get to the body lock, eventually lock up the body lock, or um, jumped onto the back, pulled him down to the ground, and was able to lock up that rear naked choke and get him out of there in round one. Then the knockout against Andre Feely in the first round before that, lost a unanimous decision to Bill Elgio. And you know what's kind of funny is that Weston Wilson reminds me of kind of a knockout version of Bill Elgio. They're very similar, hands low, you know, training under... Upstate karate with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He has that very karate-heavy style kind of, you know, side stance, in-and-out movement. Tries to land long, straight punches, big explosive shots, good head kicks. But the thing is, like, he's not super technical with anything that he throws on the feet. And he gets hit a lot. We've seen him get knocked out by Teruto Ishihara. We've seen him get dropped in other fights as well. Um, but the main way he's going to want to win this fight or have success is to get into the body locks, get to the takedowns, get to the top position, look to tire out Brito, who's going to be the more well-rounded or not more well-rounded, but the more muscular, more, you know, heavier, stronger guy. You want to slow those guys down and eventually lock up a submission or try to slow them down enough to where you can get them out of there with a TKO or allow them to give you a submission victory. And that's kind of what I think we see here. With Brito, he's got 12 wins coming by way of finish, two wins by decision, but he's also been knocked out once and submitted once. The last time we saw him get submitted was all the way back in, I don't even think it says it. Yeah, it doesn't even say it on Tapology, but he has been submitted before, and I think that that's the best way that Weston Wilson or the best chance Weston Wilson has to win this fight is to get on the back of Brito, tire him out, survive the first round, get him to blow his gas tank, and then eventually look to lock up a submission. But based off the fact that I've seen him get dropped with a big shot by Taruto Ishihara, but based on the fact that I've seen him have chin issues, and even if he doesn't get rocked, I've seen him get caught with that hands low style, and he doesn't have the most success on the feet. Like I said, I think he's kind of like a wish version or a knockoff version of a Bill Elgio. I see some similarities between Weston Wilson and Bill Elgio. And in this fight, I think this is a Joe Anderson Brito spot all the way. But he's like a huge favorite, minus 1,000, minus 1,100. I think if you're looking to bet the fight the best way, it would be the under one and a half rounds or Joe Anderson Brito inside the distance. But that's probably going to be juiced to like minus 200, minus 300. So maybe you play the under one and a half. And even at that, I don't, I say this all the time. I don't like the under one and a half. So I like the under two and a half. So even if you think it goes under one and a half, I always say to play the under two and a half. 
But if they give you even money and you have to play this fight, I would say take the under one and a half in this case because I do think Brito's power, his explosiveness, his jujitsu in his own right, his submission game, and his striking is going to be way too much. The speed, the power is going to be too much for Weston Wilson, who gets hit, who gets caught, and is a very hittable fighter in his own right. He can give Joe Anderson Brito trouble if he's able to get the back, if he's able to win some scrambles, if he's able to lock up a submission, then I do believe he can get him out of there. But at the same time, I just think this is a Brito spot all day, but you can't back the money line. You probably can't back the inside the distance because it's going to be juiced. I mean, minus 1,000, it'll probably be minus three or 400, but I am going to go with Joe Anderson Brito to win this fight by knockout in the first round. I think he's going to catch Weston Wilson with his hands down, you know, explode on a big straight right or a left hook drop him and get him out of there. So give me Joe Anderson Brito to defeat Weston Wilson by first round knockout. Um, betting side, I would say stay away from it or the best bet would be Brito inside the distance, maybe Brito round one, or you could take the under one and a half rounds. But I always say I don't love the under one and a half. So I would rather have you take the under two and a half. Up next is going to be a welterweight fight with the return to the UFC from Kevin, the Motown phenom Lee returning after his last fight in the UFC, where he lost via a unanimous decision to Daniel D rod Rodriguez. That was another fight that took place in the welterweight division. Prior to that, he had another fight in the welterweight division against a former welterweight title challenger and lightweight champion in Rafael Dos Anjos, where he lost that fight via an arm triangle choke submission in the third round, I believe. Tired out, you know, too many takedowns, too much wrestling, and um, he wasn't able to hold down RDA for as long as he liked to, and he slowed down. Kevin Lee is a guy that people are going to say, oh, well, he had that win over Diego Sanchez and Eagle FC, you know, Khabib's promotion, and yeah, he did, but that was a competitive fight, and going off the fact that that was competitive against a worn-out basically brain dead Diego Sanchez at this point. And that's not me saying that to, to disrespect the legend in Diego, but that's basically what he had. I mean, that was a shell and a half of Diego. And if Diego in his prime or close to his prime fought that Kevin Lee, there's a chance that Diego Sanchez beats Kevin Lee in that fight, but that doesn't matter because it's not about ifs or maybes. It's about the absolutes. And the deal is that Kevin Lee's going to be the better striker against Renat Fakhradinov. Fakhradinov fought Brian Battle in his UFC debut and utterly and absolutely 100% dominated him. That was a fight where I backed Brian Battle. I thought he was going to be able to threaten with the submission attempts, which he did at a certain point, but I thought he was going to be able to stop the wrestling, stop the takedowns, and outstrike Renat Fakhradinov on the feet. Not only did Fakhradinov take him down work the Dagestani handcuff position, be able to break his base down, lock him in the triangle leg mount, constantly controlling the top position and just not allow Brian Battle to get him off of him. He also dropped him on the feet with a big right hand, I believe. A right hand right down the middle, dropped him, jumped on him. And that was in the third round too of a fight that he was already utterly dominating. I think that Kevin Lee can have some success in this fight with his wrestling, with his scrambling ability, but I do not like the gas tank. And the thing about Kevin Lee I don't like the most is his mental game. I've always been a fan of Kevin Lee, and I think he has the goods to be a very solid fighter. I mean, you see the beatdown he put on Edson Barbosa. You've seen the fights that he's had where, you know, he submitted Michael Chiesa, but, you know, he was kind of trying to tighten his neck muscles up, according to Chiesa. That brutal head kick knockout, the right cross over the jab of Gregor Gillespie to the lead left head kick that knocked Gregor Gillespie out cold and handed him his first loss in professional MMA at UFC 244. Uh, in Madison Square Garden after training under Faraz Sahabi. Like, Kevin Lee has always had the potential. He has good striking. He's going to come out in this fight with that stance low, you know, butt low kind of squatted out type type of stance. He's going to be trying to establish the jab. And if he can defend the takedowns and out-scramble Renat, 
I think he can outstrike Renat on the feet. I think he has better boxing. He has a better jab. I think he can put his combinations together. He's got better kicks, especially to the head. Look for the head kicks from Kevin Lee in this fight. But you have to be careful throwing kicks against a guy like Renat because Fakhradinov is going to catch those kicks, take you down, and work from the top position, transition to the mount, triangle leg mount, controlling the wrist with the Dagestani handcuff, breaking your base, not allowing you to establish the base, not allowing you to scramble out. And I think he's going to be sticking to Kevin Lee in this fight like glue. And with a guy in Kevin Lee who's going to slow down in the second, slow down in the third, he does the best when he's dominating the fight. He does the best when he's in control of the fight. When Kevin Lee starts to slip away from controlling the fight, his mental starts to kind of go out the window and he starts to slow down and lose that fight. Renat Fakhradinov's 20 victories, one loss. Kevin Lee, 18 and 7, coming off a somewhat competitive fight against Diego Sanchez, which isn't a good look coming into this fight. Now, if I tell you who I want to win, I want Kevin Lee to win. I don't think I don't think there's a lot of people who don't want to see Kevin Lee win unless you're not a big fan of Kevin Lee. But I want to see Kevin Lee win. I want to see him come in here, land a big shot, knock out Fakhradinov, outscramble him in a position, potentially take his back, get a rear naked choke because Kevin Lee has good wrestling. He has good jujitsu. He has good top control. He locked up Edson Barbosa in the triangle leg mount like we saw Renat use against uh, Brian Battle. And Brian Battle's coming off that first round knockout over Gabe Green where I backed Gabe Green to beat Brian Battle. So, you know... I've been wrong on Brian Battle fights before, but that win looks better and better for Renat in his UFC debut. But his wrestling, his takedowns, his pressure, I mean, he's very strong in those takedown attempts, picking up Brian Battle in the double leg, slamming him down, um, not allowing you to get any space to work off of your back. Kevin Lee has good jujitsu. He has good top pressure. He has good submissions if he's able to get your back. But here's the thing about Kevin Lee. He does not have good submissions off of his back. Most of Kevin Lee's success on the ground comes from top position, comes from being able to out wrestle you comes from getting the takedowns and controlling from the top. I don't think he's going to be able to have the wrestling advantage against Renat. And in that case, he's going to have to use his jujitsu off of his back with sweeps, with arm bars, with triangles, with shrimping your hips and working your way back up using your get up game. And that's not where Kevin Lee's strengths lie with the wrestling. That's not where it lies. It lies when him with him being the dominant fighter. And it's kind of the same thing with Kevin Lee on the feet. He's going to have to dictate the pace. He's going to have to hurt Renat. He's going to have to have a lot of success using the jab, using the one-two, using the left hook, using the jab to the lead check hook, the left hook to the right head kick, the jab left hook, right head kick. He's going to have success if he has success. If Kevin Lee cannot implement his game plan, if he cannot get Renat to back up and kind of break under his will, then Kevin Lee is going to start to break and he's going to start to slow down in the second and the third. And with the heavy wrestling, with the chain wrestling, with the takedowns, with the top pressure, with the submission threats, with the ground and pound, you know, with the threat that Renat has on the feet, even though I think on the feet, I would give the advantage to Kevin Lee. I think this is a Renat fight all day. I want to see Kevin Lee win. If I'm telling you who I want to win, it's Kevin Lee. But who do I think is going to win? I think Renat Fakhradinov wins. I just don't think Kevin Lee has it at this point. And I'd love to be proven wrong. But I think Renat survives the first round, maybe gets hurt with something early, but he's able to get those takedowns, get in on the hips of Kevin Lee, get the takedowns, slow him down. I think the wrestling and grappling will be close in the first round, but Kevin Lee's going to start to slow down in the second round. Renat's going to control from the top, get those takedowns, look to lock up the Dagestani handcuff, the triangle leg mount, and really start to work his ground and pound, start to work for submission attempts. And I think he's eventually going to submit 
Kevin Lee in this fight. Uh, plus 190 as the underdog for Kevin Lee, minus 225 for Renat Fakhradinov. This is not an easy fight for Kevin Lee to come back to. Even though he's only had one fight in the UFC, has Renat. This is not an easy fight for Kevin Lee at all. So give me Renat Fakhradinov to defeat Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee via a third round rear naked choke submission. I think he's going to eventually tire him out, get, get Lee to kind of give up his back and submit a little bit, and then he'll lock up the choke and get the submission. I could see him surviving, so maybe a decision is the smarter play, but I do think Renat will get him out of there with his relentless wrestling, the top pressure, you know, the Dagestani style of wrestling, hand, Dagestani handcuff, control and just not really giving the opponent any space and then being relentless on the feet and even having some threat on the feet. I think Renat wins this fight. So give me Renat Fakhradinov to defeat Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee via a third round rear naked choke submission. This is a no bet fight for me. And if I was going to bet, I would throw some money on the underdog in Kevin in Kevin Lee saying that he comes back as a different fighter, but I don't think that's what we see. So give me Renat Fakhradinov via third round rear naked choke submission. All right, and now we move to the main card with the first fight up being in the UFC's middleweight division between a contender series alum coming off of a huge upset victory with a knockout over Gregory Rogo, Robocop Rodriguez and Bruno Ferreira taking on the UFC newcomer with a ton of experience in MMA, coming in with a record of, I believe, 34 victories and 8 defeats, over 40 professional fights compared to the 10-0 undefeated record for Bruno Ferreira in Nursultan Ruzibov. Or uh, let me see, Nursultan Ruzaboev or Ruzaboyev. Um, Ruzaboyev versus Ferreira is a tough fight because we don't really know what to expect from Ruzaboyev in the UFC. You can never really take 100% confidence that a debuting fighter is going to win or a debut fighter is going to lose when they step into the UFC octagon. And I know that sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but I'll explain it here. How many people thought Jamal Embers was going to beat Hussein Askabov, who came into the UFC at 23-0? Not me. And I was looking at the odds like, man, only minus 125? How can you have a guy who's 23-0 and at minus 125? Well, I'll tell you how. Because he lost. <laughs> and he didn't look good. And he slowed down, got taken down, got outstruck, out-wrestled. All by Jamal Emers. Now, Jamal Emers is coming off that split decision loss to Jack Jenkins in a fight where a lot of people thought that... Jamal Emers did enough to win the fight. One judge scored at 30-27 for Emers. I thought it was pretty close. Um, I could see Jenkins eking out the first two rounds, but he definitely lost the third round, in my opinion, with the wrestling top control and pressure of Jamal Emers. But it is what it is. You know, sometimes split decisions go my way, but more often than not, I'm, I'm on the wrong end of split decision wins. So at that point, you know, I'm wrong, and... You know, at least I got that one right because a lot of, like I said, a lot of the times the split decisions don't go my way. But this is going to be a good fight, man. Bruno Ferreira is a very well-rounded fighter. He switches stances from southpaw to orthodox and orthodox to southpaw, and he hides the stance changes pretty well. Even when he knocked out Gregory Rodriguez, he was up against the cage, kind of moving left, moving right. He was shoulder rolling on each side. He threw a straight left, went to throw it, fainted it, threw that right hook, stepped to the outside, and banged that straight left hand right down the middle on, on Robocop's chin and knocked him out with one shot. He has big power. He has good wrestling, good takedowns. When I look at Ruzaboyev, I see a guy who is pretty technical on the feet. He has good straight punches, good ability to land kicks, good front kicks to the body. Um, he likes to use the Kimura setup in the submission attempt to defend takedowns and also to 
set up his own submissions. Sometimes he'll use the Kimura to sweep if he's on the bottom position. Sometimes he'll use the Kimura to just lock it up and eventually take his opponent's arm home with him. I mean, if you look at his record, um, we'll pull it up real quick. Give me a second. 34, 8, and 2. But out of those 34 wins, he's got how many victories by finish? He's got 32 victories by finish, only two victories via decision. That's serious, man. That's serious. 32 out of 34 wins for Nursultan Black Ruzeboyev by finish. And out of those finishes, like I said, 12 knockouts, 20 submissions. But you look at his recent fights, he's got an armbar in the first round. He's got a Kimura 44 seconds into the first round, a TKO in the first round, another Kimura in round one, uh, a knockout via slam against Ibrahim Main, which was nasty. He got caught in a triangle from the bottom position, or um, he was in the top position, the opponent was in the bottom, got caught in a triangle as he went to lock him up and cut the angle to cut off the additional space. He got sl he slammed his opponent and his elbow went into his face and you saw when he slammed him his neck was like completely sideways it was com it was nasty if you haven't seen it go look up the fight with Ibrahim Main uh, for uh, Ruzeboyev it was at Brave CF 47 uh, he's got a rear naked choke in the first round a Kimura again 35 seconds into round one he loves that Kimura setup loves to use it to sweep if he's on the bottom position loves to use it to just lock up and threaten with the submission which he gets most of the time but he also can get caught in uh, Kimura attempts of the opponent as well. I feel like the Kimura sweeps, the Kimura setup, the Kimura lock for sweeps, transitions, and just overall submission attempts is a big part of Ruzaboyev's game that he's going to be wanting to use against Bruno Ferreira. But Ferreira has good wrestling. He has good takedowns, good slams, good throws. Um, but I would give the ever so slight wrestling advantage to Ruzaboyev. But like I said, he's got good striking, good head kicks. He even caught an opponent as they were working their way back up to the feet, you know, trying to stand up. He caught him with a head kick. He's got good punches down the middle, good left hook. He's very technical in his own right, man. This isn't a guy who's going to come into the UFC and just get completely demolished. Like, no, that's not what you have here. You have a very well-rounded, very technical fighter who I do believe is going to have the wrestling advantage, the top control advantage, and the jiu-jitsu advantage against Bruno Ferreira. It's just, can he avoid the big power of Ferreira with the stance changes between orthodox and southpaw, with the big right hooks, the big overhand lefts, you know, constantly moving his stances, throwing head kicks, throwing wheel kicks, throwing shots to the body, throwing that front kick up the middle to keep the opponent off of him. Big right hook, big left hook, constantly moving his shoulders left and right. When he moves his shoulders and kind of goes into that side stance, it's to disguise you know, what punch is coming, but it also kind of aids in like a shoulder roll defense where if you throw at him, he can shoulder roll your punch and come back with a counter on the rear side, which is kind of like how he set up Gregory Robocop Rodriguez. He was moving left and right. He was in Southpaw, move, move right, move left, bang, threw that straight left because Robocop didn't see it because he got used to the hypnotic movement of Bruno Ferreira on the feet with the shoulder rolls, with the in and out movement. Like he got kind of stuck in a position and he didn't have any head movement. He didn't move his head off the center line. Bang, straight left hand, caught him and knocked him out. I think that the power advantage is obviously going to go to Bruno Ferreira. The knockout upside goes to Bruno Ferreira. But in this fight, you have a guy in the UFC who's got a ton more experience. 10 fights for Bruno Ferreira. 44 fights for Ruzaboyev, a 34-fight experience advantage. And most of the time, you want to go with the guy who has more experience at the high level. And people would say, well, it's going to be Bruno Ferreira. He fought on the Contender Series. He fought RoboCop. And yeah, but he hasn't had a lot of fights in the UFC. 
He's only had one fight in the UFC and one fight on the Contender Series. So he hasn't had that much experience at that high level either. I think the overall more well-rounded fighter is Nursultan Ruzeboyev. I feel like he has more weapons he can use. I think he's the better grappler. I think he can out-scramble. Bruno Ferreira on the ground, I think he can lock up submissions. He can go for a lot of submission attempts that uh, Ferreira might just try to muscle out of and end up getting himself caught in something that's, you know, a lot deeper than he originally, is, you know, expects. But Ferreira is technical on the feet. He has a lot of power. He does set his shots up well. Has a, a capoeira background, you know, with the way he moves and sets everything up. But I am going to go with Bruno Ferreira to defeat Ruzeboyev via a knockout. I think he will catch Ruzeboyev cold in the first round and hit him on the chin, drop him, and get him out of there. You know, even though he's got two losses, He's only lost, uh, let's see, one loss by submission, one loss by TKO, six losses via decision. Why does it say? Okay, yeah, yeah, So two finishes, but six losses via decision. Um, I think he will get caught, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ruzeboyev wins this fight um, by tiring out Bruno Ferreira, out scrambling later in the fight, and getting a late submission. It wouldn't surprise me if he was able to get a late TKO or a late submission because he does go to the mount a lot. He does work from the top. He does go for submissions, and he does have knockout power, and he does have knockout ability and finishing ability, you know, with the grappling and jiu-jitsu. But at the same time, I think the explosiveness, the power, the experience advantage in the UFC for Bruno Ferreira, even though it's, you know, close, he hasn't fought in the UFC that much, I do think he will catch... Nursultan Ruzeboyev with a big straight left hand down the middle and drop him and then TKO him. So give me Bruno Ferreira to defeat Nursultan Ruzeboyev via a first round knockout victory. But if it goes late, I would side more with Ruzeboyev in the second and the third round. But I do think Bruno Ferreira will get him out of there in the first round with a big left hand, drop him and put him out. So give me Bruno Ferreira to defeat Nursultan Ruzeboyev via first round knockout. When it comes to the betting side, stay away from either fighter, but I do like the under two and a half rounds. If the line isn't completely juiced, I would take the under 2.5 rounds for Ruzaboyev and Ferreira in this fight. All right, up next, we continue on the main card with a battle in the lightweight division between Ishmael Bonfim, one half of the Bonfim brothers, alongside Gabriel Bonfim, taking on Benoit Saint-Denis. This is a very interesting fight, and this is going to be fireworks, man. Benoit Saint-Denis brings it. He's going to come forward. He's going to look to land a big power left body kick, big looping punches, straight lefts, left hooks, right hooks, uppercuts, left head kicks, left kicks to the body. The back power kick to the body is big money for him. It's a big weapon. He's got a lot of power in it, and all of his shots have a ton of power as well. He has decent grappling, decent wrestling, you know, can outscramble his opponents at certain points, but when he when he's taking on a guy in Bomfim, I do think he'll have the power advantage, but I think the more technical fighter as an overall fighter is Bomfim. He'll switch stances between southpaw and orthodox. He can land that left straight from southpaw right down the middle. He doesn't wind up on his stance changes. He doesn't telegraph his footwork or his stance changes. He can land overhand rights in orthodox switch southpaw, straight left hands down the middle, overhand right, check right hook and southpaw, straight left right down the middle, good body kicks, good low kicks. He's got good distance control and range, and I think that's going to be the biggest weapon against Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, Saint-Denis obviously has more UFC experience, but the Bonfim brothers have been on the scene in MMA for a very long time. I picked Ishmael Bonfim to defeat Terrence McKenney by knockout in the last fight, and you know he had didn't have any you know much trouble with Terrence McKenney. He was able to control the range. He was able to measure the distance, use that lead hand to measure, right hand over the top, big left 
hook, big overhand right, double jab down the center, good low kick, and then eventually set up that switch flying knee up against the cage that knocked out Terrence McKenney. He can land good knees to the body. He can land big, vicious body shots with uppercuts, left hooks to the body, right hooks to the body, jab, left hook, right low kick, front kicks up the middle. The Bonfim brothers are very technical, and in this fight, I think Ishmael Bonfim is the far more technical fighter than Benoit Saint-Denis. Would I say power for power that Saint-Denis might have more raw power? Yeah, I think he does. I think he probably has more power in his kicks. Maybe the bigger puncher or the more knockout upside in the punching is Ishmael Bonfim. But you saw with Benoit Saint-Denis in his last fight. Who did he fight in his last fight? Because the name is escaping me, baby. Hold on. Give me a second, because this is not wanting to work. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Hold on. One second. Benoit Saint-Denis. He fought Gabriel Miranda, and he dropped him multiple times in the first round. Basically had him out of there with big looping punches, decent straight punches, big left body kick, straight left hand, right hook, overhand left, uppercuts from both sides. Um, He kind of reminds me of a little bit more technical version of a Trevor Peak. I mean, a lot more technical because I've never been a fan of Trevor Peak. Um, even though I picked him in his last fight, you know, that was a terrible pick because before that fight card, I was saying how terrible he was and you shouldn't bet on him ever. And then I go and bet on him and he loses. I just find that kind of funny. Um, I went against my own judgment and picked him because he, everybody else was on his side. And, you know, you learn that you can't do that because sometimes you see what other people don't see. And clearly, you know, I said that Trevor Peak wasn't that good. But the God of War, Benoit Saint-Denis, um, 19 or 10 victories, one loss. The only loss coming to Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos via unanimous decision. But that was a fight where Benoit Saint-Denis was getting butchered with low kicks, butchered with kicks to the body, butchered with punches up top to the head. I mean, just getting demolished to where the ref should have stopped it like two or three times. He got demolished by Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. The fight should never have continued. It shouldn't have gone to a decision. He got picked apart. And you know why? Zaleski had more power, but he was also the more technical fighter. And I think that's what you have here. I think Ishmael Bomfim is the much more technical fighter than Benoit Saint-Denis. And yeah, maybe he slows down Bomfim in the second and third round, is able to outscramble and make it a messy fight, make it a dirty fight, and win the fight You know, late in the third round overwhelm him and potentially steal a decision, but I just don't see it, man. I think the God of War gets put to sleep by Bonfim here. I think Bonfim's going to use that jab, use that range control and distance management, chop the low kicks, chop the inside low kick against the southpaw, land the kick to the body, land the one-twos, catch uh, Benoit Saint-Denis over his jab with the lead left hook as he steps in, check hook and pivot off, land big shots, and eventually just pick apart Benoit Saint-Denis. And I think he catches him with a big right hand over the top, drops Saint-Denis and gets him out of there. We've seen him get hurt. We've seen him get, you know, beat up before by like uh, the likes of Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. And although I think Saint-Denis, you know, he has the UFC experience advantage, he doesn't have the MMA experience advantage at all. And I think the Bonfim brothers are for real. And I think Ishmael Bonfim is going to walk through Benoit Saint-Denis here. Like I said, later in the fight, if he's able to slow him down, Saint-Denis can have success, can land some big shots and try to get him out of there because Saint-Denis is a finisher. But at the same time, I got to go with Bonfim. He's more technical. He manages range better. He's the better defensive fighter by a mile, in my opinion. Better counter striker, better use of his distance and range, good footwork, good pivot. 
pivots, you know, big, heavy knees, big, heavy punches. And I think he knocks out Benoit Saint-Denis, catches him stepping in as he's landing, you know, those looping wild punches or trying to land him, lands that right hand, bangs that left hook over the top against the southpaw and knocks out Benoit Saint-Denis. So give me one half of the Bonfim brothers and Ishmael Bonfim to be able to defeat Benoit Saint-Denis via a second round knockout victory. Even at a minus 285, I think Ishmael Bonfim is the side to bet here if you're looking to bet it. I think the under two and a half for Ferreira and Ruzeboyev is the, the side to take in that fight. And I think Ishmael Bonfim inside the distance by KOTKO or submission or just Ishmael Bonfim on the money line is the correct bet. So give me Ishmael Bonfim by uh, second round knockout over Benoit Saint-Denis. All right, let's continue on the main card with a battle in the UFC's welterweight division between undefeated fighter and somewhat UFC newcomer in Michael Morales, who comes in with a record of 14 victories and no defeats in professional MMA, taking on a UFC veteran, mixed martial arts veteran, whose record is very unassuming in Max Payne Griffin, who comes back with a record of 19 victories and 9 defeats. This fight, I feel like a lot of people are just going to jump on the Michael Morales train because they see that undefeated record, because they've seen him get knockouts, because they've seen his ability to land that right hand, to step back on that rear side angle, land the right hand, land the right hand over the jab of the southpaw, you know, step off to that rear side angle and land the right hand, you know, lead Superman jab, right low kick, and the power that Morales possesses. But Max Griffin is not an easy fight, and he's not an easy fight for anybody. Max Griffin is a guy who is on a pretty big win streak or was on a pretty big win streak. He lost a split decision to Neil Magny in a fight where I think a lot of people thought Max Griffin could have won that fight. He dropped Neil Magny in the first round, stepping off to that rear or to the lead side, stepping to the outside foot, banging that right hand, dropping Neil Magny, jumping on him, trying to get him out of there, but he couldn't finish him. But you know, Neil Magny is not a guy who gets dropped very often. Like even if he loses fights, he's not a guy who gets finished number one, but he's not a guy who gets dropped. And Max Griffin was outboxing him. He was outpacing him. You know, the one thing I liked that Max Griffin did in the fight against Neil Magny was whenever Neil Magny would stand square and kind of circle off and be in a side stance, he would attack that back leg with a low kick, with a calf kick. He's very good at setting up his low kicks, good at setting up angles to potentially attack the back leg, which is more of a Thai-style low kick than a traditional, like, Taekwondo style attacking the bad the back leg instead of attacking the lead leg. I think Max Griffin can win this fight if he stays patient, stays technical, and allows Michael Morales to overcommit and overextend. But at the same time, I also think with this fight that Max Griffin staying technical and patient might allow Michael Morales to get a little bit more confident and be able to land some big shots. But even in the fights where he won, in the fight against Trevin Giles, he got dropped early. Giles tried to wrestle. He was able to go to the over-under position, hike up under hike up the underhook, you know, break him off. And then eventually just caught Trevin Giles as he was able to regain his bearings, caught him with a big shot as he stepped in and then caught him again with a right hand, dropped him and got him out of there with a TKO. And then in the fight against Adam Fugit, that was a fight where a lot of people thought Michael Morales was going to get Fugit out of there early in round one. And Morales was getting caught with some big shots. He landed a good Superman jab to a right low kick a la GSP. He lands some good jabs. And, you know, he has a really solid jab. I think that if he uses this jab for the majority of the fight and doesn't allow Griffin to get into his rhythm and get into his ability to use those jabs and use the volume striking to kind of step it up and get 
Morales behind on the volume, then I think he can have a lot more success early. And I think a lot of the success from Morales comes early. A lot of the success from Max Payne Griffin is by, you know, weathering the early onslaught and having late success. I think Morales can have some success with some, ugh, can have some success with the wrestling as well. But I also think Max Griffin might be able to overwhelm him in the clinch, in the over-unders with knees, with elbows, striking off the break. But Michael Morales is a tough guy where some of his strikes don't look as technical. He's got a very technical right hand and a good jab. He kind of throws his jab like a boxer. He'll keep that lead hand really low and just shoot that jab right up the middle. He'll go bop, bang, bop. But, and he'll be able to keep that lead hand low and be able to set up the jab from the correct range and then use that to set up the missile in his right hand. Jab, one, two. Jab, 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 two. Jab, jab, two. Two, jab, two. Two, three, two. Two, three, one, one, two. He can set everything up pretty well. And Morales is going to have the finishing ability. He's going to have the finishing upside. He's going to have the power upside. Going to have the knockout upside. I feel like he'll have probably... I don't know if he has the technical advantage over Max Griffin in terms of a boxing sense, but I think he has a technical advantage over Max Griffin in an overall mixed martial arts sense. I think Griffin's best weapons is to set up that right hand, not overcommit on anything, survive the first round, see if Morales is going to get tired, and then pick up the volume, tie up in the clinch, be in the over-unders, land knees to the body, land elbows over the top, land uppercuts in dirty boxing with the single-collar clinch, land lead elbows over the top if he's in that single-collar, strike off the break, because if Max Griffin can strike off the break against Morales. It's going to allow him to not get hit as they strike as they break by Morales. And I think Morales has that power to catch him with a weird looking uppercut, to catch him with a lead hook, to catch him as he's shooting a takedown, drop Max Griffin and get him out of there. But Max Griffin isn't a guy who really gets finished. The last time he got TKO'd was against a former interim welterweight champion and a guy we haven't seen in a little while in Colby Chaos Covington. So that's not really a shame to get TKO'd by that guy. So you have to take that into consideration. All the other fights that Griffin's lost, even though he's 19 and 9, all the other fights he's lost came by decision and some of them were very close split decisions. He has a win over Carlos Condit, a very close fight against Neil Magny, which he arguably could have won. Uh, if we go back and continue to look at this fight, hold on. Uh, Max Griffin. Let's look at some of his other wins. He's got a win via unanimous decision by Carlos Condit, a knockout in round one over Kanan Song. That was a brutal knockout in a fight where I believe I backed Kanan Song pretty heavily, at least in terms of picking. Uh, an elbow to Ramiz Brahimai. He was able to pop that cauliflower ear and blow it up and win via third round doctor stoppage. He lost a split decision to Alex Oliveira, lost that split decision to Neil Magny, lost a unanimous decision to Alex Morono, uh, defeated Zalima Madaev by unanim via unanimous decision. He lost a split decision to Tiago Alves, which doesn't look the best, but that was back in February of 2019. So since then, he's been on a win streak, uh, four wins, one loss, the one loss split decision to Neil Magny, which he arguably could have won. He could be on a five-fight win streak, but he also won a split decision over Tim Means, where I backed Tim Means in that fight and thought he was going to be the more technical fighter. And again, split decisions, you know, he does fight to a close fighting style. And when I look at this fight, I think Max Griffin is probably the more well-rounded fighter. He'll come in with a better game plan over 15 minutes. He can pick it up and probably wear out Michael Morales if he's able to survive the onslaught in the first and second round. But Michael Morales did knock out Adam Fugit in round three in a fight that was, was it round three? Let me just make sure. I believe it was round three. Could have been round two though. Oh, let's see. 
Round three, yeah, a minute and nine seconds into round three, but he was getting caught with some decent counters. He was getting hit. He was getting caught by Fugit, who just kept his guard up and remained calm. I think we could see that from Max Griffin, where maybe Michael Morales just comes in as that undefeated fighter with that chip on his shoulder and overcommits on a shot, gets with his chin up in the air, gets caught with that right hand from Max Griffin, gets popped with the jab. But I think if Morales can establish his jab early, keep that hands low style, use the jab, set up the low kick, jab, Superman jab, right low kick like GSP, jab left hook, right low kick, land some knees to the body as Griffin tries to close the distance, strike off the break in the clinch. I do think Michael Morales will win this fight. I do think Morales will win via a finish. I know Max Griffin hasn't gotten finished since Colby Covington. You know, he is a durable fighter. I think if it goes to decision, you might want to side with Griffin because I do think Griffin will pick it up and most likely win the third round if it gets that far, but it's going to be how they score the first two rounds. It could be split decision. Maybe you play fight goes to split decision, but I just think the power, the explosiveness, that angle that he sets off to that rear side to land the right hand, the big left hooks, the big uppercuts. Um, he can even catch you with switch dance combos where his strikes don't look that hard, but they can have a big effect on the opponent. And I think he's eventually going to catch Max Griffin on the chin, drop him, and put him out of there with a TKO. So give me the undefeated fighter in Michael Morales to pass this test. I like what we saw against Fugit who is a, you know, not an easy guy to get out of there unless your name's Mike Malott. You know, I liked his approach in that fight where even though he didn't have the most success early, he stayed patient, he stayed with it, and he found his way to get that finish with that right hand. I think he finds that right hand against Griffin, maybe has some trouble later in the fight if it gets that far, but he'll catch him in round two, drop him, jump on him and barrage him and get him out of there. So give me Michael Morales to defeat Max Payne Griffin via second round TKO. Um, like I said, if it gets into the third round, you might want to side with Max Griffin. If you think the fight goes long, maybe you just play fight goes to decision because you'll probably get plus money in that regard um, because a lot of people are expecting Michael Morales to get a finish because I believe all of his wins have come by way of finish, but I could be wrong. Uh, no, so he's got 12 wins by finish, 11 knockouts, one submission, and two wins by way of decision. Um, I think he's going to pass the test here against Griffin. I do think it's a tough test. I don't think he should be this heavy of a favorite. I'd line Michael Morales like minus 190, minus 185, somewhere around there. But I understand why he's the favorite with his finishes and with his performances in the UFC. But I'm going to side with the undefeated fighter and Michael Morales to defeat Max Payne Griffin via second round TKO and eventually catch him with that right hand. But like I said, if it gets into round three, you might be looking at a Max Griffin decision because he's probably able to, you know, wear out Michael Morales, tie him up in the clinch, land his jab, be able to dictate the pace, land some good low kicks, and eventually get the volume striking going for himself. But I'm going to take Michael Morales, second round knockout. All right, up next we go to the co-main event of the evening. In a very, very interesting fight with a fighter who originally retired after his last fight where he lost the decision to Amir, or Amir, oh my God, to Armin Sarukian and Damir Ismagulov, who comes back with a record of 24 victories and two defeats, like we said, coming off that loss to, to Armin Sarukian. Going up against another fighter who's a very, very solid competitor, um, lost one fight in his MMA career, one fight in the UFC, which was a decision to, or no, he didn't lose to Jared Gordon, but who did he lose to? Um... Either way, Grant Dawson. So Grant Dawson, Demir Magulov, number 12 ranked is Magulov, number 15 ranked Grant Dawson. Dawson comes back with a record of equal imp impressiveness, 19 victories, one loss, one no contest. If you look at the side of Grant Dawson, the more the way he's going to play this fight out is to get in the face 
of Demir's Magulov, close off that striking range, get in the over-unders, work for double legs, get look to get under the butt, pull him off the cage, and look to implement his wrestling and takedown game. And a lot of people going into this fight are going to look at Demir's last fight where he lost via that decision, but he was getting out-grappled, out-wrestled, out-controlled, and taken down and controlled by Armin Sarukian. I think Armin Sarukian's a better MMA-based wrestler than Grant Dawson. I think Grant Dawson is a better amateur-style wrestler, and I think that's going to play the big difference in this fight because I don't think Dawson is going to have the most success with his wrestling against Demir. I know people are saying they saw that with the Armin Sarukian fight. He was taking him down. He was taking him down. He was able to you know, slow down and stifle the striking game of Demir by using his takedowns. I think Grant Dawson has the possibility of continuing to use his wrestling, continuing to take the opponent down, potentially setting up a submission. I don't think he submits Demir Ismagulov. He's got a lot of third-round finishes. Does Grant Dawson a third-round rear naked choke against Mark Matson? a third-round rear naked choke four minutes and 11 seconds into the round against Jared Gordon. He's got a hammer fist knockout with one second left on the clock against Leonardo Santos in a fight where he got hurt and he got rocked. He was getting pieced up. It was a war, but he found a way to get the finish in a fight where he probably was going to lose the decision with one second left on the clock. So that shows that he's going to be in the fight from the beginning of the fight until the end. And the later rounds of this fight, I would favor Grant Dawson if he's able to implement the takedowns, if he's able to close the pocket, if he's able to shoot those doubles, you know, chain wrestle, get those takedowns on Demir and control from the top position and settle in. I think he potentially could win that third round. Um, unanimous decision over Nan Naramani, rear naked choke in round two over Derek Minner, who's a very solid jiu-jitsu artist and submission artist in his own right, rear naked choke in the second round against Mike Trezano, uh, unanimous decision win over Julian Arosa, rear naked choke against Adrian Diaz. Um, he's a very solid submission artist, but all those submissions come off of his top control, come off of his wrestling, come off of his ground and pound. He's relentless with the takedowns, relentless with the takedown attempts. Even if you stuff a takedown, he'll try to grab your ankle as you try to, you know, turn and walk away and he'll go back to the single leg, singles to doubles, head on the inside, head on the outside. Grant Dawson can do it all with the wrestling. And if he's able to stick to Demir like glue for the most of this fight, then I could see why this fight is at basically even money now. But to be honest, I think this fight being at even money or kind of pick a mods or a little bit higher. I think you take Demir is Magulov, man. He's not easy to take down. And I know you're going to say, well, Grant Dawson is technically a better wrestler than Armin Sarukian. But do you think Grant Dawson would be able to out wrestle Armin? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think Grand Dawson could out-wrestle an Islam Mahachev. I don't think he can go takedown for takedown with Armin Sarukian. And Armin Sarukian went back and forth in wrestling with one of the best wrestlers in the sport in Islam Mahachev. I do not think Grand Dawson is able to do that. And I've seen some durability issues and some chin issues for him. Even though he hasn't been knocked out, he's been dropped, he's been hurt. Even in the fight, in his last fight against... Uh, Mark Matson, he got hurt early, got hurt, and almost got put away early in that fight with a big shot. Demir's going to be using that jab. He's going to be using his lateral movement, his footwork. He's going to be popping that jab in the face of Grant Dawson, following up with the two behind it. Jab, one, two. Jab, jab, two. Jab, two. One, two. Jab, hook, cross. One, three, two. One, three, two. One, two. One, two, three. One, two, five, two. Two five two. He's going to be able to use that distance and range to keep Grant Dawson away from him. And I think if Grant Dawson isn't able to get those takedowns, he's going to get pieced up on the feet. He's going to get outboxed. 
He's going to get outstruck. Demir has better footwork, better pivots, better angles, a solid jab, a world-class jab, and he pairs that up with crosses behind it, pairs that up with multi-shot combinations with lead uppercuts, right hands, jab left hook, right hand, and the combinations we just touched on. And I think he's not going to be able to take Demir down. And even if he does, I think that won't be until later in the fight where Demir's already outstruck Grant Dawson on the feet, on the numbers, on the volume. I don't think Grant Dawson is going to be able to stick to Demir like glue and work this wrestling heavy game plan for 15 minutes. I don't think he works it for two out of the three rounds. Maybe he gets it in the third round because we've said Grant Dawson is live in round three where he can take down Demir. He can work those takedowns and maybe he tires him out and wins that third round. But I think Demir's jab, his distance control, his range management, even coming in after he retired after his last fight, I think this is a Demir spot all day. I like Demir's Magulov to use that jab, use the range, use the straight punches, the one-twos down the middle, the jab to the left hook, and be able to outstrike Grant Dawson for two out of three rounds and win this fight via a unanimous decision. I think the fight should be a lot heavy, a lot heavier of a favorite on the side of Demir is Magulov. I think they're playing into the retirement. They're playing off the fact that he retired after his last fight. They're playing off the fact that Armin Sarukian had a lot of success with the wrestling, and that was what was able to win him the fight. But I don't think Grant Dawson could out-wrestle Armin Sarukian. I think Armin Sarukian would out-wrestle Grant Dawson, even with a 19-1-1 record. So give me Demir Ismagulov to defeat Grant Dawson via a 29-28 unanimous decision using the rangy strikes, the straight punches, and the jab to dictate the range on the feet and avoid the wrestling and the scrambles. All right, and now we get into the main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division between a, not a title challenger, but a steady top contender in the number seven ranked Sean Strickland coming off of that short notice replacement unanimous decision victory over Nasruddin Imavov in a fight where he was able to outpace him, outstrike him, outbox him, and win a decision. Going up against a guy who a lot of people probably don't think deserves this spot in the main event, against a guy who a lot of people are probably shocked and who some people might not even know, in a former PFL finalist and a UFC newcomer in Abus Magomedov. But even though he's a newcomer, he's got a record of 25 victories and four defeats with one no contest, and with Sean Strickland, 26 victories and five defeats. We know what Sean Strickland's going to be looking to do. Yes, later in his career, he can use his wrestling. He can implement his takedowns. And sometimes he will implement takedowns in wrestling in order to, you know, offset his opponent. And that's something that he's gained in terms of his fight IQ. But for the most part, you're going to get a jab-heavy game from Sean Strickland using the jab and using the backhand to parry the strikes of the opponent. Jab, parry, parry, jab, 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 parry, right hand, jab, right hand, right hand, left hook, right hand. Jab, parry, right hook, left hook, right hook. When when Sean Strickland puts on volume, it's a lot of jabs to start the combinations and then parrying up the jabs to land, whipping right and left hooks. It'll go jab, jab, parry, right hand. Parry, jab, jab, right hook, left hook, right hook. If he's feeling good, he'll up the volume, but mainly it's one or two strike combinations and it all goes off of that jab. We've seen him get that exploited by... One of the best strikers, former UFC middleweight champion, former two-weight division glory champion in Alex Pereira. Pereira was able to time that backhand parry and use it, jab, jab, low kick, faint the jab, get him to parry, lead left hook. As he parried, he dropped his hand, bang, lead left hook, hurt him, dropped him, right hand, right hand, and he knocked him out in the first round. So thinking about that, you look at, well, how did Alex Pereira knock him out? But all these other guys, power punchers like Jared Cannonier, can't knock him out. Do you know why he got knocked out by 
Alex Pereira because he had that early finishing upside. He had the ability to knock out Strickland with one punch. He had the danger that Strickland doesn't really face with a lot of these other fighters. You're going to say, yes, Uriah Hall has the, you know, the, the power advantage. He can head kick him. He can wheel kick him. Uriah Hall's a head case though. And I love Uriah Hall. I've always been a fan of him, but you know, he's got that mental issue. Kind of like we talked about with Kevin Lee, the mental game, his mental strength isn't as strong. And if you can pick him apart, He'll, he'll eventually start to break, but also he doesn't have the ability to let it go where a lot of the times he'll just kind of stay behind. But if he has to suffer adversity, he can't let it go and he'll break a little bit. But also he kind of has that mental adversity where he doesn't know when to let it go and he'll fall behind and then that'll aid in him breaking mentally once the opponent has more and more success. The thing that Abu Smagomedov is going to have is he's the more technical striker in my opinion. Even though he's a bigger power puncher, he's a knockout artist. I mean, look at the fight against Dustin Stoltzfus, that knockout in the first round in his UFC debut. He walked forward, walked forward, front kick up the middle, rocked him, rear uppercut right behind it, front kick, Rear uppercut, left hook, right uppercut, and dropped him. When Abus Magomedov smells blood, the guy is going to finish you. And that's the thing that you need against Strickland. He's not going to win a point-fighting boxing match. He's not going to win a point-fighting kickboxing match. Strickland's going to use that jab. He's going to out-volume him, out-combination him, stick him behind the jab, and win on a decision. If the fight goes to decision, that goes to Sean Strickland. And I don't think a lot of people are going to disagree with that. But the thing that Abus Magomedov has that not a lot of the opponents of Sean Strickland have had recently, aside from Alex Pereira, who coincidentally is the only other man to finish Sean Strickland besides Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos, who caught him with that wheel kick, is danger. He has finishing upside. He has that knockout power. And that's something that Strickland doesn't face that often. And he might face it later in fights, but he doesn't face it early. And that's something that Abus Magomedov is going to come forward with. He's going to come forward, going to be looking for those front kicks, going to be looking for those teeps to the body. He's going to be looking for the right hands. He's going to be looking for the one twos, going to be looking for the big uppercuts, the big knees. He's going to be looking for big shots that is going to knock out Sean Strickland or to hurt Sean Strickland and set him up for a knockout. Being able to have that danger factor is big here against Sean Strickland because he has that ability to put Sean Strickland under fire early and often. And if he's able to land a big shot, he might cause Strickland to not be as comfortable using the volume striking, using the jabs to set everything up, setting up the volume combinations behind the jabs and really dictating the fight behind that shoulder roll Philly shell Perry jab type of style that Strickland uses in all of his fights. And then once he gets comfortable with the jabs, the parry to the jab, he'll set up the jab, right hook, left hook, jab, jab, overhand, right, left hook, straight, right, and then set up the multi-volume combinations. But with the power of Abus Magomedov, with the knockout upside, with the ability to land big uppercuts, big overhands, big left hooks, big head kicks, big knees, big front kicks to the head, to the body. The knockout upside and the finishing upside is big in this fight for Abus Magomedov. And that's why I'm going to side with the underdog in Abus Magomedov, even though it's only his second fight in the UFC. I'm going to side with him to be able to knock out Sean Strickland as the plus 145 underdog. I think that if it goes to decision, then Sean Strickland's going to win. But the bigger moments, the more damage-inducing and danger-inducing moments are going to come from Abus Magomedov. And he's going to be coming forward looking to take Sean Strickland's off early and often and when you use that parry style it only takes one mishap or one misstep to be caught with a big overhand be caught with a big left hook be caught with a front kick i actually think the front kicks can be a big weapon against strickland who uses that parry and jab style because they're going to be expecting hooks 
and straight punches. But if you can feint low and come up high with a front kick, you might be able to catch Strickland because he's not used to facing guys who throw those big heavy kicks. And if they do, it's mainly going to be round kicks, which come from that circular motion, kind of like swinging a baseball bat and not right up the middle and straight. The thing that he caught or the thing that um, Alex Pereira did to Strickland to catch him was jabbing, jabbing, low kicking. But he started off by setting up the jab to the body. And he made him think about that jab and get him to parry to come around the side with the left hook. I think similar to this, if he's able to jab, touch the body with a cross, touch the body with a cross, a left hook, jab, and an uppercut. If he can mix it up between the uppercuts and the front kicks for Magomedov, anything up that center channel, it's going to be harder for Strickland to see. And with the power, speed, and explosiveness and the technical striking that Abus Magomedov has, I think he's going to knock out Sean Strickland, and I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Abus Magomedov to be able to catch Sean Strickland and knock him out with one of those front kicks right up the middle. Um, it's either going to be a front kick or a right uppercut. He's going to catch him on the chin, drop him, and get him out of there in the second round. So give me Abus Magomedov to defeat Sean Strickland, the number seven ranked middleweight, in a pretty big upset, in my opinion, via second round knockout with either that right uppercut or the front kick right up the middle to the chin. All right, that's going to be it for my preview predictions and breakdown of UFC Vegas 76 or UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Magomedov. This fight is going to take place this Saturday from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. This podcast is going to be available to you anywhere you get your audio podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many, many more. This podcast will be uploaded and fully edited to my YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast at the Touch Em Up podcast. You can support the channel by either donating to the PayPal address, which I'll have linked in the description of this podcast, or by subscribing to my Patreon, which is just about to get started in the next couple days. I'll be uploading fighter breakdowns, betting tips, you know, overall fight breakdowns, post-fight analysis, you know, just overall articles and tips on upcoming fight cards because I think that will allow me to dive a little bit deeper into the technical analysis side of the game without having to worry about the copyright strikes and everything from my YouTube. So expect um, tape study recordings. I'll be recording my tape study for the fight cards and voiceovering it and explaining to you what I see and why I lean towards one side or the other when breaking down these fights. I'll have the, the technical breakdowns on my channel for fights or fighters or on my Patreon, I should say, which is going to be you know, obviously the same type of videos that I do on my YouTube channel, but it's just to avoid that copyright. Um, if you subscribe to the different tiers of the Patreon, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do, but more than likely it'll be like $5, $10, $15. And, you know, early you'll just get some articles. And then, you know, the more, the later you subscribe, if you subscribe to the highest level, I'll probably allow you to pick one thing for me to break down and, and analyze or I will allow you to be a producer in the credits of the videos that we upload and the podcast that we upload to the YouTube channel. Um, I haven't worked that out yet, but if you're interested, let me know, send me a message or just talk to me, send a message to me on YouTube, comment on my channel, which is the same name as the podcast, but the Patreon for the Touch Em Up podcast is going to be coming because I think we need to make this bigger, better, and badder, and that's exactly what we're going to do. But I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out.